So I'm trying to really detangle these things. I want to believe in reconciliation. You know mm. me. I want to believe it to the depths of who I am. Yeah. But I just don't think it's what I've been told. Sometimes I don't think it's what been what I've done. And I don't think it's what most people think it is. And that's, I think, why we don't like it that much. Take a little break from the crazy, try to recalibrate. Every day seem to be hazy, I see though. Everybody's sick with obsession, it's how to navigate. Take your baggage out of my space, I need room. Reset. New world order. Reset. New world order. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the one, y'all. This is the one. <laughs> <laughs> we are in a season of hope and expectation right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful to be talking to a person on this episode who, for me, really exhibits the power of hope and joy and love. Let me back it up. For the folks who are joining, thank you for tuning in to the Stir Crazy Podcast. My name is J.P. Reynolds. I'm your host, and I am talking to some really great people on this podcast, some dynamic folks, some brilliant people, some dear, dear friends, and I have yet another wonderful guest on this episode. His name is Joshua Williams. He is the lead pastor at Elm City Vineyard Church in New Haven, Connecticut. He's a dear friend of mine, and a beloved interlocutor, if you will. <laughs> mm, that's rich. <laughs> yes, he is a person upon whom I can trust with deep things, theological things, justice things. And his perspective is, is one that is necessary in these days and times. So I'm thrilled that he's joining me tonight and I'm honored that he is on the show. And on the podcast, and we're gonna chop it up. We're gonna chop it up. This is gonna y'all let's gonna, do it. Y'all gonna get the vibes because me and me and Josh usually get real real deep with it. I'm excited to have this conversation. So you know, first of all, Josh, thank you for pulling up. Where are you? How are you? Have you been drinking water? What's good with you, man? I got my water, so that's good. <laughs> I've been in the south. Um, which has been amazing. Uh, been in Selma and Montgomery and Birmingham, mm. which we can talk about maybe. Uh, so those have been amazing spots to be, mm. but I'm from New Haven, originally from Iowa and Indianapolis. But at this point I can just say New Haven. Um, I've been there since 2004 and love that city. Yeah. Love my neighborhood. Uh, so those are, those are some of the places I call home either recently or for a while. Yeah, man. Yeah, New Haven. That's what we that's what we first met. We first encountered each other. Yeah. Very formational, foundational years in that city. And Very much so. I really actually loved your commitment to the city and your call to it because you you like answered a call to that city, mm-hmm. which I think is really precious mm-hmm. and such a good example for folks who believe in like vocation and the trueness yeah. of yeah. answering a call. I have a lot of I have I want to pick your brain about because one we haven't we haven't chopped it up all pandemic like in person I think we've texted a couple times we have the emails but like I praised you know, praise the album stir crazy I just told you how much I love it so. <laughs> thank you man yeah I, yeah you pulled up to like the listening session for that but 
I'm like, we haven't talked about all the stuff. And I kind of want to just like jump in and just, you know, set the stage, right? Obviously, it's been a crazy year. We've had, it's like everything that could happen to a, a human community has happened within a year, right? We've had political upheaval. We've had social crazy. discord. We've had a pandemic, right? Health and economic disaster. This is all the craziness, right? And mm-hmm. my question for you to just jump into this is, is there a bomb? Is there a bomb mm. in America for the, for the sick soul? Yeah. So there's a lot of bad news first, and I think there's some good news. Mm. The bad news is things are bad, like really bad. And I'll, break, I'll share more, but the good news is things have been bad before right? Sometimes there's a weirdness in like us expecting things to be good. And the question is like, why? Like, why would we, why did we expect 2020 was going to be so amazing? What made us think it was going to be that good? Was it like what you got going on? Was it your life? Was it your relationships? Like, I mean, I had just had a kid, so I was excited about that. But why did we think 2020 was going to be phenomenal? Like mm. things have been bad for a while. There's a lot of machinations. There's a lot of stuff in the background that basically makes bad things happen almost always. You know, one of my friends was saying about uh, the pandemic and coronavirus, saying it's apocalyptic, meaning like it reveals, right? Like obviously we've got a virus, but Mm. all the virus did was reveal all the bad stuff that was already under the surface. Mm. And so again, maybe someone really had amazing plans for 2020. Like it was going to be the cruise and the concert and they had like their love situation going on. But I don't know, for me, when I think about what's happened, I'm like, didn't we kind of guess a lot of this stuff? Like, couldn't you have guessed? Mm. Right? Like, couldn't you have guessed? We might have had a certain leader that would be saying, even if they lost, that they didn't really lose. Mm. Couldn't you have guessed if there was a virus that had to deal with, you know, connection and serving one another, uh, that we maybe wouldn't do that? Couldn't you have guessed that if there was mm. another, you know, mass act of violence, that we would basically respond fervently, but then not really have, like, that seems all very likely. The fact that it's not that new to me gives me hope for this bomb uh, to actually be powerful. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for, uh, Mm -hmm. is that because it's not as new as we might think, there is a bomb that's actually old, that's done some things over Mm -hmm. the course of not a few years, but a few centuries and millennia years. And it's been good at times, like really, really good. We've seen its goodness. Mm. And I just have to hope that that's going to come again. You know, what you're talking about sounds like prophecy. I'm speaking with the prophet right now. I mean, what you're saying sounds like prophecy. Shouldn't we have known, right? Like, didn't we, shouldn't we have known based on historical data, based on spiritual insight, based on intellectual, shouldn't we have known? I think, unfortunately, yeah. Josh, we're in a world that, we're in a world that says there's peace when there is no peace, Right. And that yeah. doesn't necessarily yeah. heed to the call of, of prophetic voices or folks that maybe knew true. ahead of time to say, oh, yeah, we knew, right? And there's been, a, there's been a reckoning in some ways. I think folks have called it an awakening in some ways for folks across the spectrum. But I'm still just like, you know, the, the bomb... I feel like the bomb still takes a recognition of what you're talking yeah. about. And I'm like, yeah. are we even there yet? You know, like I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about 
a bunch of different things right now. Mm -hmm. Chief among them, you know, in just a couple of minutes before you jumped on, the image popped into my head of the outgoing president mm -hmm. walking across the street in the middle of a protest to stand in front of a church holding up a Bible, holding up a sacred text, and taking photos to manipulate religious fervor. And I wonder... Or law and order. It was a photo op, right? And I mm -hmm. wonder where is there, how is there, how can we have spiritual vigilance in what feels like an age of religious manipulation? So that's, that's deep. That's super deep. And I, I'm growing in this because mm -hmm. I think you have to call that out without calling out being all you do. So mm. I think if you sit by and let 45 have his moment of church, <laughs> if you mm. sit by and let that happen and don't say anything, I don't know. I think you've got to name it. Mm. You've got to name it and say, that's not godly. You've got to name it and say, that's not law and order. You've got to name it and say, that's not leadership. Because once you begin to name that, you begin to express hope that there's something different. But if all we're doing is calling out and saying, just basically throwing stones, right? Even for someone who might feel like deserves it on whatever way you want to throw stones, we're not really showing something that new or that hopeful, hmm. right? It might be justified, hmm. but we're not doing new things. A lot of people st throw stones. Hmm. What we're trying to do is imagine something else we can do. Now, hmm. whether we're going to try to imagine that with 45 or not, I get it. I think it's, there's a lot that's hard to imagine with certain people. None of this is me, but there's really, there's been some cool things I've been learning about lately, the call out culture, right? It's like, well, what about calling people in mm -hmm. to relationship or when we hold people accountable, what if the most important part is to hold? Hmm. Now, again, I'm not sure hmm. if we want to imagine doing that with 45, Wow. but I want to imagine doing that with some people that have hurt me in my life, but I don't want to start. Personally, just, this is, again, just where I'm at. I don't want to start with some person I'm probably never going to meet. That's some person that was supposed to lead me for four years. But I do want to do that with my personal enemies. And I've been really wrestling with how to do that. Yeah. And how do I name the hurt? So I'm not just doing that as an act of peace, but I'm doing it as an act of justice. I've been hurt. And here's how. Now can I tell that to my God, to my community, and then eventually to this person? You're dropping some, some deep stuff here. And I'll, and I'll name that. You are a person I, I think about when considering the element of reconciliation and like true reconciliation, right? Like what you just named, like not just doing a thing to find a place of perceived peace, but like a true, you know, getting over a place of like discord for one's own soul, one's own space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about the folks that when you say hold, holding folks accountable, what if the hold was the most important part or calling folks in? Those are really tricky things for us to live into as humans, <laughs> right? Because, yes. you know, and think about reconciliation or calling folks in or holding, holding folks accountable. You know, even with just like the, the, the image I just talked about of the current president walking across the street, there are folks who defended that. Yeah, folks, like a, a lot of what I think about is like, how much energy do we need to give to 
the folks who are <laughs> def- not even just 45 and he's outgoing, right? Like, and the thing is mm-hmm. these systems will persist after he's out of office, right? That's, this exactly. is, he's a representative of a situation, not the situation itself. Mainly because there are folks who defended that and who agree with that and believe that that is right and would yeah. do it again and celebrate it. And how, mm-hmm. like, this is a question for me too. And I know that like, this is not a thing, a space for us to provide an answer because I don't know that we have an answer mm-hmm. to this because I know you yeah. just named that you, this is the thing you're, you're figuring out, but I'm like, how do we, how are we supposed, how we expect ourselves to reconcile providing that type of patience for somebody yeah. else who just is not, they, we just fundamentally are not on the same wavelength. So, I mean, this is one of my favorite and most infuriating things to think about because it's really, I'm really passionate about it. Mm. And one thing is I don't have to have the same relationship with some of these folks as I do with you, mm. right? Like you are a homie. Like mm-hmm. we <laughs> talk, we laugh, we, I don't have to imagine everyone that's hurt me that I'm going to connect with them. Like I connect with you mm. or like I connect with my wife or like I connect with some of my friends. Like one of the examples I've been thinking about lately in scripture is Jesus and the Pharisees. I mean, mm. there's situations like Jesus and Nicodemus, right? But Jesus doesn't really get close to them at the end of the day. In fact, they kill him, right? <laughs> what is the way that he, he might model reconciliation or relationship? He speaks to them. He gives them truth that if they heard it, they could turn everything around. That's mercy to me. He's, I mean, Maxine Watt, right? He's giving them his time, you know? <laughs> Jesus is like, reclaim me my time. Like he's, te- he's, he's using some energy to speak to them, but he's doing it partially. He's doing it basically kind of low-key embarrassing them. But again, if you have eyes to see, if you have ears to hear, you would get it. What if that's part of a mode of reconciliation? And what if we've been uh, kind of hoodwinked a little bit that our reconciliation needs to be a little bit more Disney? And you know I'm the Disney guy. We, I think we might need, think that reconciliation is a little bit more Disney than it actually has to be. Like, I don't have to hug you at the end of the day. I don't have to be your friend. I don't have to give you a lot of time, but I do have to give you something that could be a version of the best of myself. What if the best of myself is simply saying, you really hurt me, but I want you to know that if you apologize for that, I could consider something new or I I could even forgive you, Hmm. you know, and then you walk away. What Hmm. if that's a step of reconciliation that could be where you're at for a while? Hmm. Do we imagine that? Or do we imagine having to have Thanksgiving dinner with the person and not say anything about how they've hurt us six years ago? Because mm. I don't think that's reconciliation. That feels like a kind of like slavery to me or a kind of performance to me. Mm. So I'm trying to really detangle these things. I want to believe in reconciliation. You know mm. me, I want to believe it to the depths of who I am. Yeah. But I just don't think it's what I've been told. Sometimes I don't think it's what, been what I've done. And I don't think it's what most people think it is. And that's, I think, mm. why we don't like it that much. I definitely think we've been hoodwinked. Like hoodwinked is definitely a word that describes most of how I feel about our expectations of ourselves and of our neighbors in this context of the United States. You know, we've been hoodwinked, bamboos are running muck, let us stray, right? Yep. That's that was some truth that Malcolm was speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you just said just reminded me of a conversation I had with one of our classmates from from Yale. It's a white dude who I've encountered, you know, over the years. And we had a conversation. And it's interesting to think about reconciliation as just having a conversation, right? Like, yeah. not, not like 
it just like just you know what i'm gonna spend this five minutes listening to you that it's in and of itself is a reconciliation that's really interesting it's not like it doesn't require resolution maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. require agreement it just mm-hmm. it's just like i listened that was yeah. that was enough <laughs> but we had this conversation and we were talking about reparations right mm. and i'm like i'm definitely a proponent of reparations and he was like, well, I'm more concerned about how. And I'm like, I'm not, we're not there yet. Like, if you can't even say that you want it, then why would you even care about how, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was like, part of it is that, like, folks haven't even apologized. Yeah. Folks haven't even uh, acknowledged that the history that still exists with folks and in folks was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that this American dream or story or narrative of the United States manifest destiny that all, that's all a lie right like that's not none of it's true it's a lie <laughs> we bind it right like that that's not even done it's like there's not there hasn't even been an apology mm-hmm. and it blew his mind to consider that oh wow we should maybe if we apologize that would be a good start i'm like wow yep. that, like yeah that might be a good start right i may not accept the apology exactly i may not, I may not feel like you know i want to listen to it but you Come on, be like, come on, make a little effort, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's uh the reconciliation is 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 tricky and it's so hard. And like you said, you want to believe in it. Mm-hmm. Oh man. It's true. Huh. Where's compassion in all of this? How how I've talked to I've talked about compassion a couple of times on the podcast, and it's always such an interesting point of conversation with oh is this a young one who is this it's okay Zoe. i was like i know this is gonna happen zoe how'd that nap go it was good it was about two seconds i'm keeping this zoe's making an appearance a special appearance on the stir crazy podcast this is real life daddy live when there's children involved children are going to reimagine time and space everyone going to reimagine everything they will where's compassion <laughs> man i was like it was, <laughs> i knew it was gonna happen uh, i'm leaving it in that was too organic. leave it in leave it in do it do it i'm that dad sure. oh man um i mean so compassion is crazy because compassion you got to feel it right you know and compassion is birthed out of not just like this kind of fuzzy feeling but also like where's your anger who are you angry? Like when, when you see someone get pushed down, there's a, this mix of, you know, um, anger at the situation and then compassion that you feel towards someone. But to do any of that, you have to, you have to have space to feel emotionally. So for me, what I think about is, am I even in a place to feel something right now? Or am I too numb? Or am I too busy? Those are probably my two big ones. Like, am I too numb or am I too busy? Busy's what I can do because I'm feeling things I don't want to feel them. Numb is sort of when I've just succumbed to like, I, another black man's dead and I just, I can't process this one, right? Mm-hmm. So I just get numb and I can't have compassion for anyone really. I can act like I do, but I know the killings that have happened, which ones I've actually had radical compassion for mm-hmm. and which ones I've wanted to, but I didn't have the capacity because I didn't have, it's not that I didn't have desire, I just actually was too numb to do that. I mean, the names sometimes come at us so fast, right? And so part of building compassion is 
giving yourself emotional space to feel anything. And then you hope at one point you'll feel compassion. I mean, that's my, that's where I'm at. I'm trying to feel things knowing that if I start feeling things, maybe I'll feel compassion. But if I'm not feeling anything at all, I'm probably not going to feel compassion or I'll, it's not that I'll feel in a way that where it's too late, but like it, it won't be a lifestyle. It'll be like, you know, Oh man, I started a bad habit where I, I started watching this is us with Tina and I think Tina's cried at that show. She definitely has. And I forget if I have. I might have like I might, might have let out a tear, but this is us makes like they're like, we want you to cry. Like everything we're doing is to get you to cry, right? Like you'll you'll watch This Is Us and cry, but I'm not sure if that's the same thing as a lifestyle of compassion, right? Because this is us is like they're t- they're they're queuing up the violins. Mm-hmm. So sometimes life queues up the violins for us. That's probably not the same thing as us cultivating compassion as a lifestyle. Hmm. And so that's what I'm, I'm trying to cultivate a life where I feel things and that's proven to be really hard actually. What does that look like? Cause you're saying cultivating compassion as a lifestyle. That's a really interesting concept to me. What, what does that mean? Practically for me, it means being silent enough that the things I'm mad about, probably this is my personality. The things I'm mad about, I might not be mad after like five or 10 minutes of silence, or at least I'll be, I'll have some distance from them. And so I can feel something else. So maybe that's it. Like, Creating space for your emotions is probably meaning for you to name the dominant one that's distracting you or that you're not really spending that much time with or trying to act on and all the other ones that are sort of like um, fighting to get out because you're, domi- you're, you're experiencing a domination of that first one. So when we're really angry with someone, right? Sometimes we know that we're angry, but a lot of other times we don't say that we're angry, but we actually are. And so we haven't sat in silence to name that anger but also we have some gratitude for some things. We have some joy for some other things. We have some fear about some other things, but those aren't even in the picture because we actually have this like huge iceberg of, of anger that we haven't acknowledged. Mm-hmm. So what I'm realizing is I usually have an iceberg of something mm-hmm. that I haven't acknowledged and I have tons of feelings apparently that are under the surface that want to come out, yeah. but they're not being able to breathe because I'm not even acknowledging that first primary feeling. Yeah. I would say for me, compassion is one of those ones that's under that and the iceberg for me usually is a form of anger it's something i'm angry about that i'm not giving myself emotional space to name yeah you yeah because the, the word that i keep hearing is space right when you as you yeah. as you're offering this i'm just like space giving ourselves space giving ourselves an opportunity to feel a thing without jumping to numbness sometimes yeah jump into a conclusion yeah numbness conclusion fixing it that's a big one too we try to fix the thing instead of just feel the thing yeah i'm like that's such that's that's gonna stick with me for a second right like compassion as a lifestyle and not just as a singular practice but like a um normalizing what it what it means to feel so that you can be compassionate Yeah. yeah because otherwise compassion is sort of like it's sort of, I don't even know what it is. Like, it's like pity maybe, or it's like, oh, we see someone in the street that's homeless. And of course we feel something for them, you know, Hmm. versus if compassion is something like being with people and suffering, there's a lot of suffering. Hmm. You know, like I said, like 2020 has not been great, but 2019 wasn't that great either. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people suffer. And in our city, if we ask the question of who's suffering, why are they suffering? How long have they been suffering? We're going to have a lot of things to feel compassion for. That Hmm. doesn't mean that Again, compassion isn't fixing things. 
So, right. you know, you've heard that like it's compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if that's a little bit more like fix it fatigue. Like, mm-hmm. I think we can feel sad a lot. Like that's about mm-hmm. being in mourning, being in lament, like being intentionally sad. Like I think cultivating a lifestyle of compassion is to be a person who feels deeply, even if it's sad, but not saying that that's necessarily only yours to fix. Yeah. Right. Or that you have some superpower to fix it. Um, yeah. So I can see why no, <laughs> I can do like being, having compassion as a lifestyle isn't that attractive of a thing. Cause like, mm-hmm. why would I just want to be sad all the time or want to be, feel something towards other people and not even try to fix it. <laughs> it's not about not trying to fix it. It's just saying that's not the primary point. This is a crazy thing to say, but let me try and see if I'm going to eat my words in a second. But <laughs> I don't want to say it's like walking by someone cause then I'm like doing the Samaritan, uh, the parable of the good Samaritan being, <laughs> being one of the other characters that you're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean to, let's do it this way to hear something or to read a news story and to, to feel something, hmm. to truly feel it. Hmm. And then to say, okay, and now to my work. Because your work is maybe different than what you read about, hmm. but you know that the suffering is somehow connected, but hmm. that that's, you have a call and you need to respond to that call. Hmm. And maybe some kind of suffering or experience suffering somewhere else, maybe that's not exactly your call, but you want to feel something about it instead of just ignoring it or being numb to it. Yeah, That's tricky to do. It's hard to do. But I think that's really important work. See, the things I think part of the work is actually feeling it, right? Because, yeah. I, you know, I do believe in spirit and I do believe in human energy and I do believe in people power. If folks are feeling, I think that's partly, partially how we got to the moment that took place this year, right? Where there's, a, there's almost like a collective feeling. Like there's a collective feeling that raises vibration, which then forces or calls people to actually move and act. So I, I also, I mean, I do kind of feel like feeling it in and of itself may be more active than we think it is. Oh yeah. Imagine everyone that texted you, you know, that was like, Rodney, I just want to check in. Mm. Like, no, you're black. So just want to check. Are you, are you good? Are you okay? Imagine if they said, you know, what? I'm not going to do that. Or maybe they do. I don't want to punish them for doing that or, you know, make fun of them or anything. What if they just said, I'm just going to try to feel it. And like, mm-hmm. again, this is silly. What if it, on their calendar, you know, five minutes every day from now until the end of 2020, just trying to feel something about this mm-hmm. and then to see where in my own life is there a convergence of what they feel with a call to do something as mm-hmm. opposed to feel it or sorry, re- respond in a fix it way. I got to check on all my black friends. So I'll pull up my contacts. I'll find them on the list, you know, uh, then I'm going to donate maybe some money, hopefully, perhaps maybe donate some time. Don't think probably about that, but probably more money. Right. And then they're like, and I'm going to be really concerned, really concerned, mm. very concerned, like incredibly concerned for like three weeks and then they're done. And just, re- they remember that was a moment. I don't know if they felt it. Right. I think they tried to respond to it. I think they tried to fix it. Interesting. And it didn't work. Right. We saw more names, you know, but what if it wasn't about fixing it at least right away? Because again, have we fixed it? Have you fixed it? Have I fixed it? I don't think we have, right? Hmm. You've made some incredible art out of feeling it. I hope I've done some helpful things congregationally or with my city feeling it, but we haven't fixed it. But I think some of our friends try to fix things, you know, and it hasn't been fixed. 
I didn't get that many text messages from white folks checking in on me because I'm black. And I don't know what that means more about them or more about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe they, I, think, I think some of the new, like, don't, nah, nah, he's not the one. Like, he's don't, just leave him alone. Uh, or maybe, I don't know what that means. I don't know. But, but then, <laughs> more seriously, I think, I think this year, for a lot of people, was their first time feeling something. And that is striking to yeah. me because this has been present for so long. And I think there's a lot of lament about the fact that this is people's first time feeling something. And then on top of that, what it takes for people to feel something feels offensive. Oh right? yeah. This more than enraged. It's yeah, enraging. It enrages. It's like, so you have to watch a person, a person's neck under a knee for nine minutes for you to feel something. And then on top of that, are people still feeling it, right? We're talking about something that happened months ago within this year, within the context, you know, that we're approaching this conversation with. But it feels like, yo, people ain't feeling it no more. And granted, yep. right? Like, like you said, sometimes it's about maybe feeling it and then moving on, right? We're not supposed to, we're not called to sorrow all the time, right? Especially black folks, we, you know, there's space for joy here, right? But I'm like, are yep. folks even still feeling? Do folks even still feel it? Do folks even still feel it? And what? Oh, yeah. Let's pull up the Facebook messages. Let's pull up the text. Let's pull up the donation receipts and what they said. I mean, I want to do this. I'm like, let's go back. Let's Mm. go Memorial Day. Let's go back. You look at your pictures from Memorial Day around Christmas time. I don't know if that's your family practice, but let's go back to your Facebook activity. Because I would love to read what you wrote and then sit down with you as a pastor, Mm. as a potential friend, as a concerned citizen and say, hey, did you do anything else? Did you feel anything else? Did you, are, were you aware that between that post and now, there's been nothing? Nothing. Now, now let, let's just imagine what nothing would look like in other areas of your life. So let's say you have kids. If you just did nothing for your kids from that time to now, would your kids be all right? No, no, okay, not, not your kids, but now your work. If you did nothing from that last time at work to now, would you still have a job? No, you could just do the scenarios. What happens when you do nothing for months? Mm. With certain people, nothing at all because mm. there's no consequences. There's no accountability. I'm literally in a place where that's what I'm processing currently. For me to get into 2021 and to have a hope of being a reconciler, part of what I'm doing as my work is feeling what does it mean that some people, even dear ones of mine, said they would do a lot and have done nothing? And this is after, uh, if you've been friends with me, I've tried to personally, and usually just because of who I am, tried to convince or corporately get people to do something for a while. Mm. So you said something in May, and I was like, but Trayvon? What? Like, I told, we talked about that. You were in my church. You were in my, you were my friend. <laughs> Let it fly. Like we, 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 we discussed this, but okay. I got to give you space. Maybe, you know, you didn't watch a video or maybe something is new. Okay. But, but Rodney, Rodney, from, from that point to May is one thing. Mm. From May to now with nothing, mm. that's what I'm processing to get into 2021 and still hold a lot of the conviction because I think that'll mess you up. 
Hmm. And I don't want it to mess me up in a way that's going to knock me from the things I feel I'm called to do. But it's right that I'm angry about that. It's mm-hmm. right that I'm upset about that. And it's right mm. that I'm taking space to feel that because mm. uh, I need to. Oh, a lot. Thank you for just letting that fly. <laughs> it felt necessary. Oh, a, yeah. lot is, a lot is coming up for me right now. Yeah. Just in terms of, let me say it this way. Josh, you are a person who I believe genuinely is in the space you're in because you're called to be there. And we've talked about this before, right? Mm-hmm. You're in you're in community with yep. a diverse group of people, right? You pastor white folks, yep. folks who are Asian, folks who are white Latinx, folks. right? And of course, different spectrum with white folks, right? In a very in, in sometimes yep. very white spaces. Mm-hmm. But you also, but I'm like, you know, I'm I feel radical in a way where I'm just like I've been in white spaces. I'm like I'm not called to them spaces no more. I'm team. I'm like I have been personally team. I'm not teaching white people nothing for a while. Different people are called yeah. to different things. And your person, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're definitely, you're actually supposed to be there. You have the heart and the resilience and the space and the mind, all of the things you have to be there for that, right? Um, and it's not, and I, and I say that not as a prescriptive thing, but as a descriptive mm-hmm. thing. You are a person who does yeah. that. And I think you're called to that. The question, or the, what comes up is, you know, and this is, I'm sure, something that you, you, I know you you think about this and you pray about this and you you consider this, but it's like, yo, what is that? What if that shifts, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is what happens when it's like, ah, you know what? This ain't it, right? Because there are black folks who are mm-hmm. like, no, nah, we can't do nothing for white folks. White folks got to figure it out on their own. And uh, let me go be with the folk over here. But everybody's called to something different. So... Well, that's the question of, you know, are you called to do something or not? Mm. One that, that's the most amazing thing about believing in call. Uh, you know, obviously I believe in that from like a Jesus tradition way, Jesus speaking that way. But however someone comes to a sense of I'm called to do this, that's what's so powerful about it because that's what you have to do then. Mm. And if you're not called, you don't have to do it. Mm. And so what's amazing is sometimes we're close to work and it's even work we're called to, but we're doing it out of a, a wrong spirit. Hmm. So, right, if, if I was with white folk, leading white folk for white acceptance, that's a wrong spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't think, just because of my own story, that was ever a huge threat for me, but that's something I want to be on guard for just anyway, just yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know, if I felt like I should be in this space because I can fix it, which probably is something I've uh, dabbled with and lost that war. Mm. That's not my call, right? Mm. My call is to be faithful in the space that I've been assigned to mm. and to be hopeful, full of love, all these things in that assignment. Mm. And I've really had to ask God questions. Okay, so God, run it back again. Tell mm. me what it is, you know, because it is a hard time for that. But I think each time I'm convinced more and more of the particularity of the shape of my call, but also what that means to truly be authentic. I was just in Selma, uh, mm-hmm. Alabama, and powerful spot, powerful moments there. You know, uh, crossed the bridge 10 times just because I wanted to. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons I, I came there, that I was brought to there was, there was a, I did like a little three-day nonviolent something um, on the internet 
it was coronavirus times earlier pandemic okay. and someone was like hey we just used to be in person hey it's digital now anyone can it's one of those things they're like wait like the whole world can come now right, everyone's right. advertising yeah. I, we get it. It's on Zoom. Like we understand. <laughs> you have the internet. You can do it. But they're just like branding it. So I'm like, okay, I'm there. I just want to do it. There's right. a guy, Dr. Bernard uh, Lafayette, who is one of kind of the original civil right uh, kind of architects, nonviolence, has just done a lot with uh, with that work. Still alive. And there was another woman there named Mary, and it was Mary Lozo. I still don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Probably not. And I was like, I think I've seen that name before. Like, where have I seen that name? And then all of a sudden, Dr. Bernard says, hey, Mary, will you tell your mother's story? And then she starts talking and says, well, my mother, Viola, from Selma to Montgomery, like at different stages of the march, everyone went the whole way. So someone needed to drive them in different places. So Viola, this woman's mom, signed up to do that. And hours after the speech in Montgomery, after the march was done, Viola was taking someone back to Selma and the KKK pulled up. Uh, next to her. I think they were driving, I think at the same time, they got a gun and they shot Viola uh, in the head and she collapsed, was dead. And the car obviously sputtered, stopped and they got out. And there was a black man that she was giving uh, a ride to. And they saw, you know, kind of knocked into the car, looked into the car and they saw two bloody people. And so they just saw the blood and they said, well, they're dead. And they left. Turns out that was only one person's blood. It was just Viola's blood. And her blood actually spared him, protected him. Mm. When I think about what my call is, my call isn't to have white people enjoy a show that I put on or other people of color put on. My call is to help them know that what Viola did is the beginning of what discipleship looks like for them. The willingness to do something rather ordinary, drive people, from one location to another, not give speeches, not lead the march, not organize anything, but to literally hand out food and drive. And that act cost her her life. What I'm supposed to do as my calling, or at least part of it, is to tell white folk, that looks like Christian discipleship. Are you ready for that? Now, maybe they'll be called to something else in the midst of that. But if they can't say that their blood being used to spare this black man is a part of their call or that work of driving or preparing food is too lowly for them. I'm not sure if they've understood what it means to be a servant of Christ. So I'm getting very narrow these days and very specific that that is what my call looks like more. And I understand that. I don't think it looks, uh, I think in 2020, it looks more and more odd to be called that way. Right. But I know that's what, part of my work is and what part of the call looks like for me. So I have to be brave to make sure that that's actually what I'm doing. Cause if I'm not, then I'm probably not being obedient and I'm probably doing something else that maybe isn't what I want to be doing and isn't what I shouldn't be doing. But that's what my work in part is supposed to look like, especially with white folk. Whew. I'm taking a second because I'm just going to take a second. That is, a, that is a heavy and unique call and one that I, I honor that and I have. That's why I'm like, you, you right where you're <laughs> supposed to be. That is brothers right where you're supposed to be. Oh. And I, I was going to ask you about Selma 
and how it's impacted your your process of retreat and recalibration. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it has done quite a number in that regard to help you reorient yourself to the call you're being obedient to. That's heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. And it feels and it feels prophetic in the sense of sometimes folks look crazy for what they call to. Mm-hmm. It may not be popular. It may not be what folks understand on a wider scale. But when you call to a thing, you call to that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels vulnerable and risky, right? Because when I fail at that call, it could look like the show. I mean, this is what's problem with the, what's the problem with the call. A call is what you're called to do eventually, but sometimes failure at that looks foolish or embarrassing or even problematic, right? Mm. If you're called to grow in excellence at playing the drums, let's say, but you don't know how to play, you're going to look pretty silly for a while, but you're still called to it, right? And so, part of what I've needed to do is give myself grace for it. I think what I just shared with you is part of what my call is. Now, am I doing that? I hope so, mm-hmm. right? But I have to actually do it. And so I have to be okay failing, knowing that failure has real consequences, but it's still my call. Yeah. And also that I could cozy up to a false way of doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. And that has consequences too, but it doesn't mean I'm not called. It just means that, you know, think about how many people stopped. <laughs> think about how many people's calling was a mile and at the 100 mark, they're like, oh, I got some cash, though, for half of my calling. Let me just stay there. Mm. Right? How many people have accepted the cash, not the calling? Right? Ooh. And so I understand that there's a way I could be – I understand that this is difficult work. The other part of my calling – and I think it's probably true of everyone, and I'd be interested in what you would say as a musician because I think you guys sometimes are in a different spot or artist. Um, but part of my calling – I guess this is – Part of my calling to be faithful is just to share and just to, to put something out there. But I mean, it's your namesake, right? Sometimes people speak or give invitations and people don't listen. You know, that's what's hard sometimes about this work is Viola didn't have to do what she did. You know, I could be, I could be faithful in calling people to this, but if no one does it, I mean, that feels, it could feel like a waste. But again, it doesn't mean I wasn't called. So those are mm. all those things I just named are things I'm currently wrestling with so I can become more of a mature person. <laughs> mm. I want to be more mature. I want to be a more mature human being. And those things that I shared are what I'm doing. So it's not that I have to be successful, right? Cause that's mm. what everyone wants. Like we all want to be successful in our calling, but I don't know how easy that is to be honest. Mm. And I don't even know if I'm going to be. Mm. And, I, and I know that if I aim for that, I'm not aiming for where I need to. And I'm putting more pressure on myself. Oh, bro, you're dropping so much. You're dropping so much, man. You're dropping so much. Because hmm, what you're talking about takes a like a real envisioning of what our purpose is. And when yeah. we really envision without what our purpose is, it may be niche. It may be unique. It may not look like it may not look like what we even know it looks like. And what you're talking about sounds like faith, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're saying, I don't even know if I'm going to be successful at this. But that, like you said, that's not even really the point. Not the point at all. Right. Which is, which is, we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about stuff that yeah. is intangible and unspoken. Mm-hmm. But it takes your, your understanding of role. 
exactly right? your role in a in a in a wider broader vision that honestly kind of takes ourselves and our egos out of it which is like yo this is my calling this is the role i'm supposed to play i don't know what this is going to do in terms of numbers or success rates i don't even know if i'm going to see the results of this thing but this is the yep. role i'm supposed to play for the grander greater vision of creator and i man mm. Yeah, yeah, you just you just broke because, like you said, this is like, and I'll say, like, as an artist, as a musician, and as an independent artist and a musician, it, that is something that I identify with, right? Like that constant questioning of, "Yo, am I even doing this right? Am I am I like mm. what is this? What is this supposed to look like? I don't even what is, is this supposed to look like this because it don't feel like like the vision that I thought it was going to look like. It ain't looking mm-hmm. like that. So now I'm like, I guess I just got to keep doing it." and see what happens because i this is i was called to this right that takes vision and obedience and that's hard that is <laughs> it's so difficult but you can tell when people are doing it. i was waiting for this moment i'll choose now because i'm like okay i can't spend the whole podcast gassing rodney up but when i was in the south i texted so for for our for our listeners um i texted rodney this and I was going uh, from Panama City Beach to Montgomery. And I said, I, I was on a silent retreat. And I said, I was trying to be silent, but these fields are loud, especially when you see the cotton. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I need something to get me through. And so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to Guavomatic Space Dream. I'm going to listen to Rap Gumbo. I'm going to listen to Stir Crazy. <laughs> wow. And the thing that's great, which I, I've, I've listened to all those albums before, and even recently, but I'm not sure when the last time was I listened to all three back to back to back. Wow. And when I did that, driving through the South, you don't know this, but your music is so prophetic. Where I'm like, wait, this was released before this thing happened. It was released after the thing I'm looking at in the fields, after that happened. And there's this thing in the future called like hope and reality. And somehow your music was speaking to all of that as I was going to Montgomery and it it just did. And it just did it well. I was like, this is just crazy. But to see what you were doing, Guavomatic Space Stream and what's happening in 2020, I'm like, you've been hearing, you've been listening. So I probably (laughs) should stop because it's your podcast and this can't be all we do. But just to say like, you're prophetic and you've been prophesying and like, I'm like, these hooks are good, but they're, they're not just hooks. Like you've been like speaking, you've been seeing things and you've been saying what you're seeing. It just happens to be like to rhyme, lyric, beat. It's all really good. But even just as things written down, it's just come true. Like what you're writing has actually like come to pass. And part of that's really horrible because like you've been <laughs> writing about some real stuff, right? Just to be honest. I'm like, wow, yeah. I'm sad this is true, but it is. Yeah. But like the kinds of, <laughs> what I really think, this is the last thing I'll say. It's the last thing I'll say. What I really think is I can see someone listening to your music, responding to your invitations, and becoming the kind of person that this moment needs. I can see someone who's actually listened being like, wait, this is what's possible for me. Mm. This is what my life can be. You know, death doesn't have a hold on me, mm. right? Victory is something that I could have hope for. And it's not just mine, though. It's, it's ours together, right? Mm. I, I hear your lyrics, and I can see how someone could be formed into a person 
that this moment needs. That make that just makes me really excited. Um, Man, yeah. First of all, all gratitude for engaging with it and listening to it and hearing all of those things. The wildest part about, and you can identify with this, I'm sure, especially just being a person of spirit. But the wildest part about creating things or seeing things is that it's like truly just being open to being a vessel because I wish I could tell you Mm. when or how any of that stuff happened. A majority of the time I'm like, Mm -hmm. do do I even write lyrics? I'm like, I'm like, do I even do music? I like, I promise you, I'm like, do I even do this? I don't even like, I don't even feel like I do it. Right. But these things come out and I, I think I'm, I have gotten clearer on, for lack of a better word, timelessness, right? Because mm-hmm. everything right now is so based on time, right? Like you're saying, does this even, is this even successful right now? Does this even, is this right? Am I doing this right? And letting go of time and letting go of impression, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm and success mm-hmm. and whatever success looks like, which is a huge struggle for me. Success is a huge struggle for me. Mm-hmm. It is, it's been a thing where I just get, I, in my, my most healthy and aligned spaces, I just feel grateful for being a vessel. That's all it is, right? Like even on stage or even like having this conversation, I'm like, this is almost like an out of body. I, like, what's, ha- what's even happening? I, it's just happening. This is happening, right? This is, Who's who's doing this? What ancestor is speaking? What spirit is what's happening here, right? Which, you know, feels like an honor. But like you said, it also a lot of times it leaves me like, ah, I hate to have to say this, but there's gonna be some fire in the streets. I hate it. I hate to say it. Like you said, you this bad news before this good news. You started off saying that. What is the good news? And and this I'll say I'll say it this way. I'm going to ask you this because mm. you, you give thoughtfulness to this, right? A lot of times when uh, a preacher, particularly <laughs> in, the, in the Christian tradition, gets an opportunity to talk about the good news, they talk about Jesus Christ, which makes a lot of sense, right? It's an ancient truth, an ancient thing that I, that I, still, that I follow and I hold dear. But a lot of times folks don't necessarily translate that into our current context. So you started off talking about, you know, hey, listen, there's some bad news. We got to say that there's not peace when there's not peace, right? We got to be real about it. But also still, there is still good news. What, what, is, what is the good news? What, what good news are you, are you hearing in our present to these days? Mm. So... You know, part of the bad news was naming it. And I think part of the good news is naming it as well, mm. which is love is not done with you yet. Ooh. Love has more work it wants to do in you. And that love is not is more than a feeling. It's embodied. And the, the things you think you've done to disqualify you from that love, it doesn't matter. Love still has more work to do in you. Huh. And if you want it, 
it, it kind of, it, if you don't want it, that's all. I mean, there's some stuff there, right? It, it's still going to be good, I think. But if you do want it, like it can be more glorious than you can ever imagine. We'll and if, if you don't want it, I think it's going to keep trying to woo you. Love will keep trying to knock on your door. But see what you're saying. Oh, man, bro. What you just said, right, about good news is that it's not, it doesn't always look good, right? Yeah. Like when you even, so when you said love is not there with you yet, first of all, I, I, you know, y'all can't see me for the folks listening. I, have, I had a physical reaction to that <laughs> because that is a word. But secondly, what came into my mind was Viola, the story of Viola you told, right? Mm. And that, is, that, was, that's, that was good news, right? Mm-hmm. Even though there was blood shed there, similar to mm-hmm. the good news that we talk about when we talk about the person of Jesus of Nazareth, right? Yep. Oh, man, that's, that's, uh, that is a good word. That is good news. In whatever way people it relate is. to that. I don't want my reading of that to color anybody <laughs> else's. Because, you know, like, my always gets all, like, real and stuff, you know, but... And that's what's helpful about finding translations, because, you know, if I was like, Jesus isn't through with you yet, people are like, oh, God, I thought <laughs> I left that behind in eighth grade. And who knows? I mean, it's like, who knows, right? The universe is full of surprises. But th- there's something <laughs> about, like, we want love. Mm. I can't say all of us because that might not be true, but most of us want that. And mm. I just really do think love is not through with us yet. Like mm. I have my own understanding of what that means, like in ways that probably more are, are specific enough to make people uncomfortable. Right. But I would hope that someone could join me on that journey and say, Hey, I'm, I don't think you're saying I have to go to your church. I don't think I'm, you know, you're saying I have to believe what you believe. And I'm not, those are all invitations, not mm. commands. Right. Mm. Um, so it's more, if that gives you hope, if that gives you some sense of joy or levity, like believe it, trust in mm. it, expect it, try it on for a week, try it for mm. a day. Mm. What would it mean to, to wake up in the morning and say, love is not through with me yet. And then see if you have a different day than if you don't say that. Mm. I think something's gonna happen that's different. That's just me. Mm. But that's what's really cool about one, spirituality and faith. I think it's also what's cool about trying to lean over to your neighbor and say, I understand that when I get specific, you might, you know, do the Drake hand and say, (laughs) no, no, no. Um, But if you give your neighbor something that is a value that they might share, they can join you for the journey and think you're problematic, think you're whatever, think you're this and that, if they want to, but also still say, well, you know, but they're offering me something. So let me see if I can put it on. Um, one of the things I say sometimes is when one has the microphone, one doesn't have to be as fearful as maybe we could imagine ourselves being. What I mean by that is if you're living your life, you have agency, you have choice, you have ability. Now there's, there's, there's pressures, there's things that happen to make that less and less true. Right. And that's part of what I call evil, Mm. but we still have some amount of choosing to do and some amount of being active. You have the microphone of your life. So that means you don't need to be as intimidated about things you don't agree with or ideas you don't agree with or, you know, churches you don't need to go to or, you know, a lot of things. But if something's offering you true hope, if you like something, you know, 
just go for it. Another way of saying this, I'm, I'm going to be super nerdy, right? You can watch Rogue One and like it and not watch all of Star Wars. Like, that's okay. Like, watch Rogue One. You liked it. That's fine. I'm not going to say you need to, like, know who C-3PO is. Just, like, just enjoy Rogue One. Like, that is good, right? Now, if you like Rogue One and you want to explore some things, okay, maybe I'll say don't start with Attack of the Clones next. Like, that can happen. Uh, maybe at another time we can have Josh, you know, explain or maybe even exegete Star Wars because Josh is a huge Star Wars fan. Love it. So I never got into it. This is one of the points of departure in our relationship. I just never, I just never <laughs> personally. <laughs> but Josh can talk okay. about this all day long. Nah, but all you said what you're long. saying is so good, man. Thank you for sharing that. That is a. I'm about to go write that down and make that an affirmation every morning. Because that was that was that was a word. Love is not through with you yet, you know. And you mentioned you just mentioned joy and levity. Mm-hmm. And earlier, Zoe walked through, brought me mm-hmm. some joy. Mm-hmm. Yep. But how are you? How are you experiencing joy these days? That is a good question. I'm experiencing joy by acknowledging more and more what I need, which part of my personality, I don't do that easily. Mm. So acknowledging what I need and then taking steps to make that happen. So going to Alabama in the midst of COVID-19 on a pilgrimage that had like a silent retreat component to it, that all feels like excess to me in some ways, Mm. but I've come to believe that for me, that was necessary. And so I needed to do it. And on that time of silence, on that time of pilgrimage, of learning, of trying to quiet myself so I can hear something else, I experienced tons of joy. Mm. But if you had caught me at certain points in my journey, I would have said, I can't do that. I've got to be back in New Haven. I'm a pastor. I've got to be stationed there. Mm. And Alabama, that's kind of far. I don't know about that. And there's all sorts of, you know, COVID ethics and things like that that everyone has to sort sort through. I, you know, I was literally by myself, so I thought I was doing a good job, but I get that's a real thing. Um, but I think knowing, becoming curious about what you need, getting some sense of like clarity, is that really what you need? And then doing the thing can, that, that's given me a lot of joy. And I think that experience of every year I want to have a, 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 at least a week where I'm in some kind of silence, just like a lot of stuff gets quieter, right? I might even be removed from people I dearly love, including my wife, right? Mm. Maybe even my kid. And again, I'm trying to do this time for her too. So it's not just like I get this, but like mm-hmm. let's find ways to, I really want Zoe and Joy. It, it wouldn't be quiet right now, but I would love a, hey, Zoe at 10, mm. I'm doing this thing. It's for a week. I don't think you want to do it for a week, but do you want to do it for a day or two mm. days with dad? Mm-hmm. And then I'll take you back and then I'll continue. I'm finding that I really need that. And then the pilgrimage part, this started last year in uh, South Carolina and I did some things in Charleston. I was like, wait, it really ma- matters for me to be connected to stories that I care about. It's not just to read a book about someone, but to go to someone. That's excessive in some ways. But like me realizing that maybe it's not need, but it's a desire. I have a strong desire for that. And then saying yes to it is really exciting. And so- yeah. I want to do that every year. And that brings me joy that I've said, that's something mm-hmm. that I want to do, that I want to be part of my life, that I want to do every year. Thankfully, the, the church makes that work. Um, 
that that just brings me joy that I'm I'm saying what I need and I'm getting it and that yeah. and, I, and I have and I and I I end that time not with a sense of when can I do this again but with a oh it's actually next year like I mm. it, it's a liturgy it's a ritual mm. and I've helped build a community of people and help talk to people where I'm like I need this and they've said yes mm. we're willing to say we affirm that we're going to walk with you in that and we're going to do what we need to do to make that happen that feels amazing. Mm. It sounds like you are giving yourself space to feel. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And it's working. It really is. Mm. I feel it on you. you. Your smile is all wide. Your beard is mm-hmm. robust. You know what I'm saying? The beard, man, if this can happen more often, I need to take some pictures of my New Haven barber. I'm like, <laughs> the barber relationships, you know, it's, it's tricky out here, but I just might have to be like, Hey, I'm here. I'm with you right now. Right. Don't get mad. I'm going to show you these pictures and I just no, want to let you know. I believe know. in reconciliation. Let's make this work. Let's do this in New Listen, Haven. And love is not through with you yet. I believe you can get this right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I believe you can get this right. <laughs> totally. I'm here for you. I'm holding you accountable. The crispness. I'm calling you in. I'm calling you calling in. you all the way in. To an opportunity. So close that it's the edge that I need you to make. <laughs> That's what I need you to do. Oh, man. This is great. Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. You know, ah, I love hearing your, your perspective and your spirit. I'm, I'm forever in gratitude of our relationship. And Same. Thanks for pulling up for the podcast. Thank you to all the listeners who, who listened in, joined us for this, this, uh, this exchange. Josh is a dear friend and brother, so I'm I'm thrilled to be able to share him with you all for for a little while. I'm gonna have to get you back on, man, because I'm like I'm leaving this with some with like que- I got questions. I'm like, yeah, we have to get you back on for part two. The good news. Let's man. Thank you, man. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Stir Crazy. Don't forget to follow the podcast at Stir Crazy Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, you can find me at Stir Crazy Pod. This is a completely independent venture, so your subscriptions and donations are more than welcome. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash JP Reynolds or hit the link in the podcast description, anchor.fm slash stircrazypodcast slash support. Thank you. Peace and power to you. See you next Tuesday. Peace and power. True.